is we are making changes or trying to make changes to better our lives for the sake of giving us more satisfaction and fulfillment. You're going to eat better. You're going to exercise more. You're going to spend more time with your family. You're going to stick to your budget better. Whatever it is, you're doing that to improve your life so you have more fulfillment and satisfaction. That's what that's about. And really, if we think about it, every decision we make is based upon that. We want to be more satisfied in one way or another. And so that's kind of what I want to talk about today. Now, there's a song by a, a Christian artist named Pat Barrett, and the name of the song is Better. And it's one of my favorite songs right now. And I'm going to read just some of the lyrics to this song. But I want us to look at kind of how it displays what we tend to seek fulfillment in and then how it displays God amidst all of that, all right? All the money that the world could hold, mountains made of solid gold, riches that could buy my dreams, you are better than all these things. The prettiest face to turn their eyes, beauty that could hypnotize, the open doors that looks may bring, you are better than all these things. And then it goes into the chorus. It says, your love is better than life. You are the well that won't run dry. I have tasted and I have seen that you are better than all these things. Power that could shake the moon, the most important one in every room. Status matched by only kings. You are better than all these things. It says the chorus again. And then the last verse, it says, being liked and loved by everyone. Approval that outshines the sun. Cheered by all who think of me. You are better than all these things. And then it repeats the chorus a couple of times. I love that song because it, it's pretty clear and I think it's pretty accurate what our idols are, right? Power, money, appearance, approval. That's what we want. That's what we go after. That's what we run to. But today, I want us to see that there's a divide. There's a gap between... What we run to for satisfaction oftentimes and God who is our satisfaction. And so we're really only, we're going to kind of mention several verses, but I'm only going to have two that I put up on the screen. And the first one is going to be Matthew 13, verse 44. This is a parable. It's a short parable. Like I said, one verse. But I love this. It says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys the field. I love that parable because the first several times I read it, I missed one word. But the one word changed the whole meaning of the whole parable, and that was joy. In his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys the field. It's one thing for him to know that that treasure is valuable. But what would it be like if he goes to the owner of the field and he's like, okay, I need the field. There's my stuff. But he didn't. He's, he's going to the guy and he's like, I need the field. You can have everything. Here's the clothes off my back. Here's my food. Here's my livestock. Everything that I have, I just need the field. And then he gets it and there's joy because he doesn't know he believes that that treasure is greater than everything that he owns. And that's our problem. Our problem is not that we know 
who Jesus is. If you've been in church once or twice, you can tell me a little bit about Jesus. The problem is believing it, is believing that he's greater than everything else. And so what I hope for us today is that we can kind of get closer to believing that. That 2020 would be a year that's marked by God's people returning to him for satisfaction and not all these other little things that life can throw at us. And so what we're going to do is I want to go through a couple of myths and kind of dispel a couple of myths about joy or about satisfaction and then a couple of truths that I think we tend to forget. And then at the end, we're going to sort of bridge that gap. The first myth I want to get rid of is the idea that God does not care about your joy, only obedience. It's clear all over the Bible that sacrifices, offerings, giving of any kind without the right heart is really just as worthless to God as not giving anything. Maybe, maybe worse. And we see this as early as Genesis 4 when we get to see about Cain and Abel who are brothers and we see that they're bringing their offerings to God. Abel is bringing his livestock to God and Cain who works in the field is bringing his crop and they bring their offerings and God accepts Abel's offering and rejects Cain's offering. And the problem with that, with that is not that Cain's offering was not correct, that he couldn't bring crops from the field. If you go and look at the Levitical requirements for offerings, this one specifically is in, I believe, Deuteronomy 26. What he would have brought would have been perfectly acceptable because he worked in the field. He didn't have livestock. He had crops. He had fruits and vegetables and those type of things. The problem was the heart, and we immediately see that he has a heart problem because just three or four verses after God rejects his offering, he gets mad at Abel and goes and kills him. So there's a pretty obvious heart problem there. But that's as early as we see that, and it's seen all throughout the Bible. And I, I think when we think about this idea that God doesn't care about our joy, he only cares about our obedience We've kind of been molded into this mindset that if we will just obey for a while, if we'll just fake it till we make it, essentially, the joy might come, maybe. But I don't think joy was ever intended to be that way. I actually think that joy was meant to produce joyful obedience. But if that's true, what that means is that Joy, as we tend to think of it, has a little bit of a different dynamic to it. And that may not make sense, but I will, uh, I'll explain it in a minute. So the second one, the second myth, is that the Christian life is this lowly, depressing life where you're never happy and you're just kind of hanging your head down all the time. I think this is one of the biggest turnoffs to non-Christians about the Christian faith is this idea that when you become a Christian, your life gets worse. And that's wrong, and we know that's wrong. But the thing about it is, is that idea, whoever first thought that idea, it didn't just come out of nowhere. One of the distinctions between God and between people is that we can't create anything from scratch. 
Anything we can create, anything we can think, either was modeled after something we already know, or we take bits and pieces of things we have and put it together. We can't just have nothing and create something. God can do that, but we can't. So wherever that idea came from, it didn't come out of nowhere. Someone most likely saw a Christian walking around living their life that way. And that's where that idea came from. And we tend to do that sometimes, I think. Because the Christian life is hard. I'm not saying you won't go through struggles. You won't, you won't have times of weakness. But we have a terrible tendency to just let that, that hold us down. To just be the only thing we dwell on. So that's the second myth. The third is that part of what being a Christian means is to deny ourselves of joy and fulfillment and satisfaction. And that's not true at all. Now, the Christian life is one of denial, but we are not supposed to deny ourselves of joy and satisfaction. We're supposed to actually deny ourselves of things the Bible tells us will separate us from God because God promises us joy and satisfaction in himself. So when we deny ourselves of things that the world tries to give us, we're not denying satisfaction. We're actually denying things that will deny us satisfaction. Does that make sense? But if we think that way, if we think we are denying ourselves pleasure, joy, satisfaction, that shows a flaw in our thinking. That shows that we see that those things produce that joy and satisfaction and not God. That's our myths, I think, is that God doesn't care about our joy, that it's just a lowly life that, that you know, never has any pleasure, and we're actually supposed to actively deny ourselves of pleasure and joy and satisfaction. And so I want to go into our truths right here. And I'm going to go into our second verse. Again, it's just one verse. And it's Psalm 1611. And this first truth, that I want us to look at is that God has the ability to fulfill us. Now that sounds kind of silly because any of you sitting there are going, okay, duh, he's God. But again, it's kind of the whole thing about we know it, but do we live that way? So I want us to notice three things in Psalm 1611. And I'm going to read this real quick. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So the first thing, it says, in your presence, at your right hand. So whatever we're talking about, that thing is wherever God is. Does that make sense? God has that. So whatever we're talking about, when we're in God's presence, when we're where God is, we can have that. And then what we're talking about, the second thing we notice, is joy and pleasures. So wherever God is, there is joy and there is pleasure. The third thing is I want us to see the depth of that. How much joy? Not halfway joy, not mostly joy, not some joy. Fullness of joy. It's to the brim. There's not room for even one more drop. It's full. How long does the pleasure last? Not for our life, not for a century or a thousand years, forevermore. So wherever God is, at his right hand, there is 
fullness of joy and pleasure forevermore. We need to remember that. We need to constantly remind ourselves of that. The second truth is that God desires that we be fulfilled in him. Think about this. As Kayla actually mentioned, the point of everything that exists is to glorify God. The Bible tells us that. And the Bible also tells us in Luke 10, 27, that we are to love the Lord with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, right? God created all of those things, and so we are supposed to love him with every part of us that he has created. He created our desires. Our desires did not come out of nowhere. He created our ability to yearn for something, to want something. And so if we obey him, if we give sacrifices to him and offerings to him and tithes to him and serve in the church and serve in our community and this and that, but we're doing it with an attitude of it's just what I'm supposed to do. That doesn't glorify God. The way we glorify God is by carrying out his commandments with our desires and with a joyful heart. So God desires that we be satisfied in him. He doesn't want us to just be miserable all the time. Again, we will go through hard things. That is life. Okay? You will have moments where you may be down and, and, and you may feel like, like Psalm 42, what I preached on last time, okay? But that doesn't mean that God just wants you to be miserable forever. I think we serve a much more loving God than that. And the third thing is that God deserves that we be fulfilled in Him. And this is where, when I talked about that kind of interesting dynamic to joy, this is where that comes into play. What we see right here and throughout all of Scripture is that joy and satisfaction in Him is really a command more than anything else. And that's kind of weird. We don't think about it that way. But that's all over the Bible. And I'm just going to read four verses just in the Psalms. Just in the Psalms. Psalm 32, 11. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Psalm 37, 4. Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. Psalm 67, 4. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. Psalm 100, 1 and 2. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Be glad. Rejoice. Delight. Let the nations be glad and sing. Make a joyful noise. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence. It's not recommending anything. It's not saying it would be a good idea to delight in God. It's saying, be glad. Do we think about it like that, though? Or do we think of it as optional? The thing about God, though, is God, even when we don't understand it, always makes perfect sense. He wouldn't command us to do something if he hadn't given us the ability to do it. 
So if joy is a command and not an option or a recommendation or even a prescription, again, we go back to the fact that God can fulfill us. God has given us the ability to be satisfied in him. So why would we ever be satisfied in anything else? That's where we find the gap. That's where we find the divide in what we tend to run to and God. And so if you haven't picked up on it yet, that's the point, that we're constantly running to literally everything else except God. We chase these carrots, I guess you could say, over and over and over again. We go after the same thing over and over and over again. And then that dulls our satisfaction, so we go after it more. And then eventually we have to go after something even more powerful than that because that's not working anymore. So we're just in a worse situation. And so we go to sleep every night, not completely fulfilled, but thinking, okay, I'll sleep on it and I'll wake up the next morning and I'll be okay. And we wake up day after day after day for years doing the same thing that's never worked, but we're expecting it to work tomorrow. How much sense does that make? And really, when I talked about we're chasing these carrots, there's really three types of carrots we chase, okay? The first one is self. This is the default position or stance of human beings post Garden of Eden, post-fall of Adam and Eve, okay? When things aren't going our way, when we're struggling, when we're having issues, our default reaction is to go into ourselves and fix something in ourselves to fix our problems. This is why in 2018, six of the ten best-selling nonfiction books in the world were self-help books. And by the way, the Bible didn't make the top ten. If that doesn't explain to you what's wrong with our world, then you're really just not paying attention. And so we go to ourselves, we try to fix ourselves, but that doesn't work. Because, see, the Bible makes it clear to us that without Christ, we are dead in our sin. It doesn't say sick. It doesn't say not feeling well or even paralyzed. It says dead. So if we were just sick, we could do something to make us better. But if we're dead, we're dead. We can't resurrect ourselves if we're dead. We need someone else to do that. So when we try to fix ourselves, we're not resurrecting anything. Really, what we're doing is just putting makeup on a still dead corpse is what we're doing. It's, it's, it's making it look better on the outside, but the heart's still not beating. The second one that we go to is others. The American culture loves this one. This is what entertainment is based off of, is the idea that you find fulfillment in somebody else. It's the whole Jerry Maguire, you complete me complex, right? All my youth kids, y'all don't know that one. Okay, never mind. Um, for those of you that do know, thank you. But it's this whole idea that we're not complete. We find somebody else, now we're complete, we live happily ever after. It's in music, it's in movies, it's in every novel ever written. I'm going to get in trouble for this one. Christmas Hallmark movies are built around this concept. Somebody's really depressed at Christmas, so you find the right person, you're okay, you have a good Christmas and live happily ever after. <laughs> Tell me I'm wrong. 
it's it's so all over the place that we don't even see it it's on billboards it's in commercials everything and it's the reason that 20% of marriages don't make it five years because people get into a marriage thinking that who they're marrying is supposed to fulfill them and then the, the kind of honeymoon phase wears off and all of a sudden oh this person didn't completely fix my life in fact in ways it got a little bit harder So we have people that are making their children their God, okay? Imagine the pressure that puts on a seven-year-old to be your God. Parents, I'm not a parent, so I promise I'm not trying to throw anybody under the bus. But imagine the pressure that puts on a kid to be your God, and imagine how quickly that's going to crush them. Men, when you're dealing with your ladies, you haven't even learned that when she says it's fine, it's not. But she's going to be your God. Women, he hasn't even learned that when you say it's fine, it's not. But he's going to be your God. We put these expectations on other people that are just people. But the expectations are that they are supposed to complete every hole that we have in our soul and in our mind. And we wonder why it doesn't work. The third one that we go to, which I think tends to be the trickiest because it, it's kind of at times the hardest to see, is we run to the world. So we run to certain things. We run to food. We run to exercise. We run to money. We run to really anything that we can find to run to. But the, the tricky part about it is they're not bad things in and of themselves. Money's not a bad thing. Entertainment's not a bad thing. Your family's not a bad thing. Food is not a bad thing. They were made for us to enjoy. And believers and non-believers alike can enjoy them. But believers actually have the ability to enjoy them more because whereas the non-believer, their satisfaction would terminate at the thing, what we can do is take the food, the exercise, the entertainment, take our family and say, look at this family. Thank you so much, Lord, for what you've done through this family for me. And the enjoyment and satisfaction rolls over over that. But we terminate it there a lot of times. It, it stops there. Thanks for the gift. I don't need you right now. Appreciate it. And so what we find is that we are constantly unfulfilled. But we run to the same things over and over and over again. And what we need to figure out is that God is better. God doesn't promise us joy that's only half full. It's a total fullness of joy. He doesn't promise us pleasure that lasts five minutes. It's pleasure that lasts forevermore. It never ends. 
So my hope today is that we see that, that God is better. And I, I, want, I want everybody to think about something real quick, and I want you to close your eyes. I want you to close your eyes and just think about this as I'm saying it. So there's a God. And he created every star in the vast and endless universe down to the tiniest detail. He created every microscopic creature on earth down to the tiniest detail and every single grain of sand down to the tiniest detail. He is all-powerful, all-wonderful, all-perfect and holy and righteous in ways we will never be able to even begin to fathom. And you can open back up now. That God loves you. And he died so that you wouldn't have to run to everything else. So that you wouldn't have to keep running in circles going after something that's not even working anyways. He died so all you would have to do is go to him and have everything you need. 